Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility. It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits, and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. So first of all, happy holidays to everyone. I hope you've all had time to rest and rejuvenate and hit 2017 in stride. Before we begin today, I want to remind you about a couple things. So Investor Club is about to ramp up in the next couple weeks. So if you haven't had a chance to sign up and you are an accredited investor, go to wealthformula.com and get on my Investor Club list. Now you have to be an accredited investor, which means that you have a $200,000 or $300,000 per year joint income or you have a net worth of uh, over a million dollars not including your personal residence. So it's not for everybody, but it is for some of you for sure. Finally, you can also join the newsletter or ask me questions on Ask Buck, all at wealthformula.com. So let's uh, move on here. So again, happy holidays to everybody. This show will air on uh, January 2nd. So how about, given the new year, we make some New Year's resolutions and stick to them in 2017? Now, there are thousands of you out there listening, and I'm very excited about this. I look at the statistics, and it's people from around the world, a lot more people than I would expect in the UK and um, you know Australia, et cetera, and it's really exciting. So I'm glad you're all listening because this is all stuff that's all relevant to all of us. Now, if you're listening to my program, that means one of two things. That means that you're already either investing in real assets or uh, participating in entrepreneurship, or you are really wanting to do that. You're wanting to be some kind of an entrepreneur or you're wanting to invest in real assets and get away from Wall Street and, you know, the typical failing paradigm that we've talked about before on this show. Now, if you want to start doing it, write it down and make it happen in 2017, Time has a funny way of slipping away from us, and it's really, really easy to procrastinate. I have a story I'd like to share, which is a case in point. So in 2008, okay, I had this idea for a blog and a podcast that I was going to call Poor Doctor. So this was just as I had finished my residency and just before I embarked on my career as a serial entrepreneur and investor. And at that time, I didn't own any businesses or any other kind of assets. I was broke. However, I knew I would have those things and get there someday. So in fact, I was so sure that the entire idea behind my blog and podcast were to document my progress, you know, on a weekly basis to show someday all these people out there, all these doctors out there, how I transform myself from a lowly broke surgical resident to a wealthy business owner and investor. So here I am eight years later. I own multiple businesses. The businesses have combined eight-figure revenues. My personal net worth is also an eight-figure land. Listen, I'm not here. I'm not telling you this to toot my own horn, but I had a vision of what I was going to do. And I had this vision of how I was going to do it. 
and I made it happen. And there's no reason that you can't as well. The one thing that I didn't do, though, was to start that website and podcast in 2008. I actually do own the domain uh, that was uh, poordoctor.com. And WealthFormula.com actually started his PoorDoctor.com. And then I realized, you know, the issue is not just about doctors. It's about all high-paid professionals. And then what happened was I got too busy and I stopped documenting anything about what I was doing and my rise to where I wanted to be that I had envisioned. And I really regret it because it would have made great content. And it would have been a great example for those of you who are in the position that I was back in 2008 to look at and literally follow my progress and all of the things that were going well and not well and uh, to show you how you could end up where I am. And again, that's only eight years ago. And so, you know, the moral of the story is to stop procrastinating and your success a couple years from now really depends on you taking action now. And the longer you wait, the farther down the line you're going to push your own success. It's like I have the same problem with working out, right? The hardest part is actually getting your stuff together and start working out. Once you do it, it's not so bad, right? But you got to get up and do it. And the longer you wait, the bigger hole you, you know, create for yourself, whether that's with your health or with your finances, whatever. You got to get up there and do something. So today's show will feature a couple of guys who've really created their own destiny by taking massive action. So we're going to listen to stories from Jake and Gino from Wheelbarrow Profits, and they're going to tell us about how they went from being a drug rep and a pizza guy to a powerhouse apartment investing team. And it's truly an inspiring and uh, thoroughly entertaining story that you're going to want to listen to. And while you listen, think about what you can do today, tomorrow to start heading in the direction that you want and how you're going to get there because you've got to start making it happen. Use the new year to start making some goals and really pushing yourself to get to that, at least that first stage, your first investment, your first private investment, your first purchase of an apartment building, your first investment in oil and gas, whatever it is, you know, there's millions of things you could do. So some of you may decide that you want to go all in like Jake and Gino as operators and and do that sort of thing. And others may want to take a more passive role and invest through communities such as my own investor club that you can join on wealthformula.com or other syndication groups, other investor groups uh, that are out there that you feel like you can trust. Um, or you might, you know, go to some of the turnkey providers that we've been hearing about. And I have, by the way, for my For those of you who are in my investor group, if that's the route you want to go, I don't do anything with turnkey providers myself, but I do have some tips on some people who are providing quality service because that there are some pitfalls there as well. Either way, there's something that makes you come back every week and listen to my show and other shows. And it's a desire which you need to start paying attention to and taking action for yourself. Listen, there's a reason why you're listening. It's because you want to do something that you're not currently doing or something that this is this might be just that it's resonating with you and it's keeping you in the game, knowing that there are others out there of like mine. And that's fine, too. But specifically for those of you who haven't yet made the move of starting to invest in real assets and creating real wealth for yourself, think about what you're going to do this year. So when we come back. We're going to have a great show with Jake Stenziano and Gino Barbaro from Wheelbarrow Profits. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back, everybody. Today, I've got uh, some very special guests. I've got Jake Stenziano and Gino Barbaro from Wheelbarrow Profits Podcast. And they also happen to be the authors of the Amazon bestseller book, which is of the same name, Wheelbarrow Profits. Welcome, guys. Welcome to the show. 
Thanks. Thanks for having us. So let's just start out. Like, first of all, how did you guys meet? And how'd you get started on this journey of real estate and ultimately of the podcast? Well, Jake was a friend of my brother's. Uh, Jake, when he was a pharmaceutical rep, needed to do a lot of uh, you know, a lot of orders for doctors, so he needed to cater. <laughs> so he came to me, uh, and he was I was working in the back end of the house, and my brother my brother was working in the front end of the house. So this was probably within the last ten years. He was coming, getting food, and uh, he saw that I was disgruntled. He probably thought I was like the meanest guy on the planet because I just hated working. Dude, he was he was the bear in the back, man. He wouldn't even talk to anybody. <laughs> That's right. You'd be amazed. I have a podcast. I speak to people because they didn't let me out. They didn't let me see the light, so they left me in the kitchen. <laughs> Right. And, uh, you know, one day I just I'm sitting in, I'm sitting outside and I hear Jake's moving out. I'm like, oh, man, we're going to lose a good rep because the thing about Jake, which really impressed me on his monthly thing, you know, how drug pharmaceutical reps work. And I know a lot of them are listening to this. They call my brother on Wednesday and say, I'm going to see the doctor tomorrow. It's Thursday morning. I need an order. Well, my brother was constantly doing this. But what was really impressive about Jake was he'd come. It's January 1st. He'd come to my brother. Well, this is for February. I need this drug, this order on February 15th. I need this one on February 12th. I was so impressed with the way he was organized and how he ran his business. And it wasn't even his business. So when I sat down to him and started talking about real estate and when he was moving down south, I'm like, I want this guy as a partner because he just does exactly what I want to do and what I do. So I was so impressed with and I said, okay, I'm not buying real estate up here in New York. You're going to Tennessee. Let's take a look at that market and see how that market works. Uh, I love the market. <clears throat> I love the price per unit. I love the expenses down there. I just love the whole business model down there. So I said, when you get down there, settle yourself and let's reconnect. So Gino, do you live Do you live in New York still or are you in Tennessee now? I still, no, I still live in New York. I'm trying to move down to Florida, trying to get down to the warmer weather, but trying to sell the house is, uh, is holding me up. But I mean, he moved down there. I think it was probably the best thing he ever did in his life. It's a tough decision, guys. He's leaving his family and friends up here. He's leaving what he knows up here, what's comfortable, and he got out of his comfort zone. And that's one of the biggest things is to get out of your comfort zone, to stretch yourself, and that's how you grow. And I think I think he can agree. I don't want to speak to him, but I think he can agree. That's probably one of the best things he's ever done. No, so, I, I want to speak to that because getting getting out of the comfort zone was huge because I cleared all the BS out of my life and was able to focus. And it was in a new area, didn't know anybody. Gino, you knew it took us two years to really get into our first deal. Everyone was like, you guys have no credibility. You're crazy. What are you trying to do? This is a lowball offer. Creative financing doesn't work. We got every rejection imaginable and we still got in the game. But that's the thing. You guys got to be persistent because starting out, is it, it's, not, it's not easy. It's not easy, and you got to hang in there. And the more pesky you can be, the more resourceful you can be and figure things out. I always say people in real estate that solve problems are the ones that win and the ones that make money. How did you get into real estate in the first place? Because obviously, you know, you, you were doing stuff completely different, and you, you saw a match there potentially is a, you know, a business partnership. I get that part. But where did, where did the real estate park? I mean, Jake, were you already doing that? or No. So for me, I had... I've been very blessed. Great mentors. Had Gino as a mentor. He's been in real estate for 15 years. And one of the doctors that I was very close with who owns properties from Florida all the way up to the Canadian border along the East Coast, you know, we would we would have lunch together. He would mentor me. Look, real estate is the place to be. He was the only doctor in Westchester County who didn't get absorbed by a group because he owned so much real estate. He was doing it because he was passionate about it and he wanted to do it. And he didn't have to go and, and jump into one of these medical groups. So he was coaching me. He, he said, look, I know you're a go-getter. I know you got a lot of energy. you got to start creating wealth for yourself. And real estate's a vehicle that you need to do it. So I was getting all this positive reinforcement. Uh, I was reading The Richest Man in Babylon at the time. really enjoyed that. Red Rich Dad. Those were really only two of the, the books on investing that I ever really got into. And it just, it just clicked with me. So I like apartments because you always need a, everyone needs a place to live. I always joke, you can't live in the internet, right? right? You can get everything else on Amazon, but you can't get your house there yet. They're delivering everything else by drones, I guess, now in, in uh, England, right? So, so I was just getting a lot of positive reinforcement. I was moving down to Knoxville. The price per unit looked really attractive. And I, Gino and I basically said, let's go for this. Yeah. So obviously, you know, now you guys had a have had a lot of success. I think how much real estate do you guys own now? About thirty three million, uh, pushing up on seven hundred apartment units right now. Yeah, not too shabby. So successful investors usually have a model, okay, and then you create that sort of concrete model, and that's the hardest part. And then you just sort of rinse and repeat, right? Do you agree with that? I think every business needs to have that. And that's the problem that I had with the restaurant business. I wanted such high quality food. I couldn't build a model like a Papa John's or a Domino's because I was in that stuck in that immigrant mentality where you've got to die there and be there. <clears throat> and fortunately, I 
got over that. I went through personal development. I became a life coach. And I saw that that was my limiting belief. My mom always drained into me. Let's stay small. Let's stay small, small business, smallest. And it just drove me nuts. And I said, I'm not going to do that. It's either going away from the pain or towards pleasure. And I was going away from that negative, you know, down. You have to stay small. You have to be conservative. We're in a recession right now. And I just thought the opposite of that. And we started buying in, in 2011 when the, the economy wasn't great. The prices were still low. So we said to ourselves, listen, this is the time to buy. And we fell into our model. I mean, we just fell into it. We started buying something called a mom and pop. I don't think anybody was talking about them at the time. They're run down. They're a little dilapidated. There's no systems. Basically, you're buying from Gino at the restaurant. You've got one you know, one owner. You've got maybe some infighting yeah. going on. But you've got a motivated seller. And then I'll let Jake talk about the framework. But we just sort of stumbled into it. And what happened is we focused on them. And then we created our credibility book and our pitch to investors about these mom and pop apartments. Yeah, so talking about the mom and pops, and then we'll get into the model a little bit. The mom and pop is really, we've seen mom and pops from you know 15 to 20 units all the way up to 300 units. The larger ones usually are families that have inherited and passed it down to the kids, and the kids don't want to run the business, but they're self-managing. So there's no systems in place, and they're just, they you know, maybe they have low debt on it, and they're just running it into the ground. And it's, we sometimes we refer to it as the death spiral. They're not fixing the place up. They're, they're not really raising the rents just because they don't want to get calls from the tenants. So the property just keeps going down and down. And as we know, multifamily real estate is based strictly on the net operating income. That's how we're buying it, right? So these properties have not great NOI and therefore we're picking them up for, for less than they, you know, they should be going for if it was under a professional management company. So that's really what we're looking for. But we have a, we have a model that came out of everything that we we're doing. We, we, created our own management company. And essentially, we realized that multifamily investing is a three-legged stool. And it really comes down to buying right, managing right, and financing right. And if you can hit those three perfectly, you're going to have a, a fantastic investment. And that's what we've been doing. That's what we've been focusing on. So how do you find, I mean, how do you find the mom and pops? I mean, they're not, are they, they're not listing with brokers. So you must be going directly to them or... It, it depends. Uh, you know, a lot of them, believe it or not, we found on LoopNet. They've been they've been on LoopNet for years and years and years, and they just become stale. <clears throat> and all of a sudden, there comes a point when you're a salesman, you just keep going through those touch points. You keep revisiting. And that's how we found them back in 2011, 2012. You can drive around your neighborhood. You can see them dilapidated. You can see the mailboxes. And, and the great thing about it is if you know your area, you know your market, get in touch with the person who owns that property because you never know. A lot of them are too cheap to list with a broker. They don't want to pay the 5 or 6% so maybe you can go directly to them but the best way to do it is to create those broker relationships get into a market and learn what the top three or four real estate brokers are in that market and that's how we found our last few deals is by creating that credibility getting with that broker so before those properties come on the contract they're going to be giving you a call and saying hey Gino Jake and we've heard this before I've got this mom and pop for you this thing is perfect for you so they know exactly we're not looking for the A property they're not going to waste their time bringing down an A that's 130,000 a door we don't look for that they know that we're the mom and pop kings and it just it streamlines the whole thing so we want to be in the forefront of their mind saying hey these two guys are the mom and pops we're going to bring them this deal so you've got sort of the from the standpoint of the model you've got mom and pops do you have like a minimum size uh, you know what kind of class bc class etc do you have that too or is it is it all pretty open at that point no, I would say it's pretty specific. We like the we like the C and the maybe like a B minus because we're going to try and reposition it. We look for eight percent uh, cap rates, ten percent cash on cash returns. That's really what we're looking for on the buy side of things, and we're looking for maybe a higher vacancy rate than normal uh, rents under market because we like to go in and fix the place up and and get that NOI up. So that's really what we're we're looking to do. We've grown it. I mean, when we first started out, we'd buy 25 units, 30 units, 20 units, 10 units. But now with the economies of scale with our management company, we're trying to look for anything, I would say, over 50 units. Anything smaller right now might cost us a little. We would have to put another manager on. So we're trying to look for bigger deals right now. And it's all in Knoxville? Uh, yes. Yeah. It's interesting to me because one of the things, guys, that I think we've talked about this before, I'm in the market myself, you know, for my investors looking for deals, larger deals, um, you know, at least 50 units, just like you guys. And what I'm finding around the country is a lot of, uh, you know, significant cap rate compression. In other words, mm -hmm. people are selling for way too much money and there's a lot of stupid money that's following it. Specifically, when you look down at uh, C properties, when people are buying C properties, 
going in on financials at you know cap rates that are actually sub six you know or even look <laughs> in some cases you know it's always sub five you'd think mm-hmm. you were buying you you'd think you were buying like the trump tower or something like that mm-hmm. and then you know they have this very exciting performance that shows you know multiple percent increases in rent and probably the trickiest thing when you're an investor is you look down the line and they have a reversion cap rate and the reversion cap rate's even more unrealistic five years down the line, right? Mm-hmm. So the reversion cap rate, meaning for those of you who are out there trying to listen up, figure out what I'm saying, a cap rate is basically how much, what the return on investment of a property would be if you used no loan, okay? It's, the, it's, it's essentially the you know, net operating income over the price of the property. And so for a C-class property, an eight capitalization rate of eight is actually is right on target, I would say. I mean, this is where... I don't think that's a bad place to be at all. But the problem is that everybody's trying to buy that stuff and it's pushing that yield way down. And what happens over time in in the market cycle with apartment buildings is that it, you know, that compression decompresses. And before you know it, you have an asset that you have bought that's way too expensive. So I applaud you on on that. And one of the things that you mentioned, and I want you to go into this a little bit more, is buying on the financials today rather than buying on the financials that you anticipate. You know, a lot of people at this point are looking and they're saying, I can't find anything at an ACAP at, at, at purchase. So I'm going to have to buy something you know, a C or a C minus property, I'll buy it at a six so and I can bump it up to a seven, seven and a half, you know, a year from now or two years. What do you think of that kind of approach? Uh, I think it's crazy. Um, I've learned my lesson. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, middle-aged in my 40s. I've made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> and my biggest mistake was not buying right. Uh, but it's not what you buy, it's what you pay. I've learned that. So it doesn't matter you know, what you're buying. You have to buy it right. You want to limit your downside risk. And as you know, something called a risk premium, what's going on? You got the 10-year T-bond going up and you got cap rates going down. So that risk premium is getting even smaller, which is what happened back in 07 and 08. So you do not want to get caught buying a C property at a five or six cap because you will never get that money. It'll take you a decade, even longer. And um, you can justify it by saying there's no deals out there. Well, then don't fall into the trap. Be diligent about what you're buying. Be patient. And, and you have to buy an actuals. Because when the bank comes up and says to you, uh, let me see the financials, you're going to have to show them the last three years of financials. You probably won't even get that deal underwritten unless you have to put more money down. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to limit our downside risk. We're trying to buy it right. That's the first step. If you buy it wrong, you can never do that over again. So we've walked away at a couple of deals. We had a great deal in, in a city next to ours. It was a $30 million deal. We were going back and forth, Jake. We should have bought it. But at that price, it just did not fit our parameters. It was just really frustrating because the market has been escalating. So we've walked away from uh, three or four deals in the last year because it just didn't fit our parameters. And you have to be very diligent about that part of the uh, framework. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that is a really, really important lesson. And I think, you know, it's funny when you think about some of these uh, economic terms and, I, and, and you think about uh, multifamily right now, you hear about irrational exuberance. I think yes. <laughs> irrational exuberance is one. Uh, animal spirits. <laughs> I mean, these things. Basically, if you look at the multifamily market, I think that is a major risk. And um, but somehow, you know, I, I like the way you guys are, are are dodging this. Do you think that to a certain extent, this has to do with choosing a market? Because I think, you know, if you're looking at some of the major markets out there, for example, you know, say Dallas or something like that, buying something entering in at an eight for a, a significant asset almost it's seems virtually impossible i want i want to speak to that real quick gino because we really can be i don't want to say pesky but our last deal that we closed on in march earlier this year we were it was going back to i think it was november of 2015 and we were in third place on the deal we were going against two reits and the first reit ended up retrading and the deal blew up for them the second REIT was big and slow moving. So we were saying, look, we're closers. We're going to get it done. So the thing dragged on and on for, what, six, seven months, Gino? And so we were yep. there. We are hanging around, hanging around, and they came back to us. So we're not here saying it's easy to find an ACAP because by all means, you know, we would have bought probably two more properties this year if it was. But we're patient. We're persistent. And we're willing to walk away. So that deal, you know, initially didn't check out for us. We It came back to us. We got it at our number. It's uh, a lot of people call it a full contact sport. It's not going to be easy. You got to hang in there and, and you just really, I think it's a persistence that 
staying in the game, waiting for the right deal to come. It's like in baseball, they say, wait for your pitch, and then you got to jump on it because it's not gonna, it's not gonna, you know, be handed to you. And let me speak to the markets. I, I've got a lot of students, and a lot of my students are buying in Kansas City, Missouri, Louisville, Kentucky. There's certain parts of Texas you can still buy in. Certain parts of Florida you can still buy in. Um, go to the market. I mean, the first thing any investor should do is first of all. Be passionate about it. Learn why you're getting into real estate. Real estate is just an investment vehicle to get you from point A to point B a lot quicker than most. Has great tax benefits, has great passive income. I mean, there's a lot of benefits of why you're buying real estate. Know why you're buying it, right? That's the first thing. Second thing is focus on the multifamily space. Forget about fix and flipping. Forget about you know all these other strategies. Focus on multifamilies. Then the next thing is you have to focus on a market. I live in New York. I can't buy anything in New York. Even where I'm about an hour north of Manhattan, there's nothing for me to buy up here. I've got to go to all the way up to Albany, which is three hours away. So I might as well go to any part of the country anyway. So focus on the market. That's the third thing. Now when you've got your market nailed down, start looking for deals and start building out your team. You want to pick the market and then start looking at deals. You don't want to look at deals and then pick the market. Pick the market, then start looking at deals and start calling brokers and start networking. Yeah, you know, that's that's really good advice. And I think that's the difference between approaching real estate sort of as, a, you know, as a rookie, as a, mm-hmm. you know, as a newbie compared to guys who are actually looking at it as a business. What you're trying to do, like with any business, you have to create a model, you have to create an infrastructure, and then you get mm-hmm. clients. And those clients, in this case, being your apartment building and, and the people who rent from you. When you talk about secondary markets like that, that is definitely something that I thought of as an interest of a way to mitigate the cap compression issues. But what do you look for in a market? Because obviously, if you're in a secondary market, you've got some other issues to deal with. You know, you may not have the same cap rate compression, but do you look at, you know, how these markets performed in 2008 or something like that or job growth or, you know, what what kind of things do you look at when you're entering a secondary market? I think the first thing you got to look for in any real estate endeavor is you need job growth. You need jobs to be coming into the into the market. I started investing in Rochester about 10 years ago. And this is the other thing. What are you really looking for in your strategy? Rochester 10 years ago, I was just buying for cash flow. There's no job growth up there. Kodak left, everyone vacated, but I was looking for cash flow and that's what I was buying these properties on. If that's what you're looking for, that market will do for you. You're not gonna get any cap appreciation. The house 40 grand six years ago is worth 40,500 today. So you have to understand that. Um, But if you can have the best of both worlds where you're going into an emerging market, where you see job growth, where you see household growth, where you see population growth, where you see the demographics expanding. You want a city or a state that has tax-friendly policies, a right-to-work state. People want to be moving into that because you want to expand your client base, as you were saying. You don't want the tenant base to be shrinking. You want it to be growing. So that's what you're really looking for. And uh, coincidentally, a lot of these markets are in the South and in the East and Southeast and, and the Southwest. And so what does that tell you? A lot of states with no state income tax, the right to work like Tennessee, jobs coming in. That's why Florida is attractive. Tennessee is attractive. Certain parts of Kentucky are attractive. That's why Texas has been so attractive. And also the cost of living. People can actually live in these states and actually earn a decent living. And, and that's why employers are going to those states, because it's a better cost of living for their workers. Right. Right. I mean, so that, I, there's a good point there. You know, when you look at Dallas. I mean, Dallas has been phenomenal job growth. You know, it barely got touched in 2008. But now I, I think, you know, and I, I love Dallas as a market. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, and it's a challenge. It's just a challenge now because I think well, a lot of people figure so out. Compete you're competing yeah, with that's people. right. That's right. That's exactly the, the issue with it. And so, you know, the challenge is, okay, well, finding the next market. But let's shift gears a little bit because, you know, we've talked about, you know, the success and everything that you guys have had, which is great. But one of the things that everybody needs to understand out there is that a lot of times these things don't happen without a few bumps and bruises along the way and i'd love for you guys to give us an example i mean you couldn't have been shooting bullseyes the entire time tell me about a bad deal and what happened what you learned man well, gino's got a little more, a little more <laughs> he, he's got the scar tissue for you right well, you know it's really funny because between jake and i when we first started in 2011 we bought our first deal in 2013 we've actually had a really good run with that whole portfolio because i learned i had been professionally coached I knew what I wanted, but pre-Jake, I'll call it, uh, I, I was shooting bullets everywhere. I had multifamily, I had a commercial, I had mobile home parks. I was all over the place. And the mobile home park, I love to speak to. I did a whole podcast on this with somebody. I got into mobile home parks, and they're a fantastic space. If you know what you're doing and you do your due diligence, you could probably make money on them, but I didn't. I had some extra cash lying around, and I always tell people, 
person with cash meets a person with experience. The person with experience gets the cash, and the person with the cash gets the experience. <laughs> right. I sure got my experience, bro. I didn't know what a PPM was. I didn't know what any of that stuff was. So I walked in there, had money, and I just didn't do my due diligence. And that's the first thing you guys got to learn how to do. Is you got to learn what those two words are. In any business, due diligence is the most important phrase you will ever hear because you're actually doing the diligence, the work, you're finding out what's right and what's wrong with the investment. And I didn't. And that was on me. The guy that I got into business with had properties for years and years. He was just a bum, basically. Make it story short, I lost my investment. He lost all the properties. He had no skin in the game. But at the end of the day, I didn't have any paperwork. I didn't have any partnership agreements or anything. I was going on blind faith because I was going in with a friend and I made the mistake. So I owned up to it. And that only just fueled my desire to not do that ever again. Not Because I wasn't a stupid guy. None of us are stupid. We just make mistakes. And, and those of us who are successful look at that mistake. We say, what do we do wrong and what can we do right the next time? And that's what I ended up doing. I ended up going to get a real estate coach, spent a ton of money. So I ended up losing a ton of money and then I spent a ton of money on myself. And I think that's what propelled me to get in, you know, get involved with Jake. And that's, I think, why we have, we've had our success. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good, uh, you know, that's, I talk about that a lot on this show, too, because I've obviously had a fair amount of success in both business and and real estate and various other investments, but I have taken a lot of beatings and I've lost a lot of money, but you know, I kind of liken it to the guardrails approach to learning, right? So you, you know, you kind of shift here and shift there. And as long as it doesn't kill you and you end up coming out better, it's sort of cliche, Mm -hmm. but it's true. And it's just, it's the way humans learn, right? I mean, when a kid gets up and doesn't just start to walk right away, right? I've, I've got a one-year-old, and she's she's doing a very good job of it. But when she was starting to walk, I mean, she kept falling down and stuff. And it wasn't like she just quit, right? Mm-hmm. She didn't just quit, and she just didn't get up and walk. She had to keep trying it, and then before you know it, she figured out how to do it. And a lot of us forget that that is ultimately one of the best ways to learn. It is our human nature. That's the way we learn physiologically. But school sort of beats it out of us, right? So, so thanks for that. It's good to know that even the successful people out there that you're listening to have, have gone through the same thing uh, that you might when you first do it. The key is not to quit. So on the other hand, let's talk about the best deal that you've done, say in the past, say, what's the best deal you guys have done in the last, uh, well, since you guys started working together and, and why? Just straight numbers. We've had two deals that we've, uh, we're able to refi out over a million five on. So those, you know, you feel pretty good on those, um, deal we're working on right now, 156 units we closed on in March. We're building out another eight units on it right now and probably have another seven figure refi on that one. So we've, um, you know, we kind of, we joke about it. We call it refi and roll. We get into these things at the right price. We're buying them right. We're managing them through a nice repositioning, get the income up, and then we're pulling the uh, the cash out. But I would say our third deal, we refied out a million six on. It was really our first big refi cash out that we did. That one really set with me because I knew going into it, I was still working at, uh, for the pharmaceutical company at the time, and I knew the day that we were trying to close on that, there was a bunch of things going on. We didn't know if it was going to go through. I was literally pacing through my living room the whole day like, oh, shit, what's going to happen with this? And it, it went through within a year we refied the money out of it and we're really off to the races after that so i think that first deal really uh really got us in the game I, I think I take a little different take on that. We did a deal about a year and a half ago uh it was two hundred and eighty one units it was eleven million dollars uh this was on loopnet it was twelve point six million a mom and pop it was a two couple brothers and sisters. We bought this property eleven million dollars. We might have paid a couple hundred grand more, but the kicker on this was it was owner financing eighty percent bank. The seller held a 20% note. We walked out of the closing with, how much, Jake? A couple hundred grand, right? We walked out with, <laughs> no, awesome. and the people in the closing. The lady at the title company goes to me, you didn't pay anything for this. You walked out with a couple hundred grand. How does that work? Okay, I'm so like, this is not going to happen on the yeah. deal. It, it happens on your second and third deal. That's why your first deal is crucial. But the genesis of that thing was we had bought it with $140,000 a month in income. We're hitting, we're hitting 180, 190 now, a year later. So we've, dramatically increased it. Money was falling through the cracks. They weren't renting properly. They were under-rented. We're refining the seller's note out. So we're going to have this thing done by the end of January. We've already, yeah, we've already refined a million two back to him. So there's only like, you know, 800,000 left on the seller's note. 
So we're going to have this property free and clear of any money down. So we're just going to have the bank financing on it. We didn't put any, any money into this property. And we've been cash flowing every month on this property. So I think to me, that's the ultimate deal. That's what Rich Dad That was is. pretty sweet. Yeah. yeah I mean, I love them all. Even the first little 25 unit one got us in the game. I mean, you can say that was that was the you know yeah. the biggest but thing. But I'm just saying like every deal is unique and, and you look at every deal. And what did we end up doing, Jake? We ended up solving a problem. And entrepreneurs solve problems, create value. And that's why these multifamilies are so attractive because the more number of units you have, the bigger the problem you can solve and the more the money you can make. This guy had this asset for about 40 years. He kept building on, kept building on, kept building on. He didn't see the true value because he was mundane. He was doing it every day. You see, Jake and I come in and we're like, wow, we just fell in love with this property. We're like, this is our property. We split it up into two LLCs. We did various things that we needed to do to create the value. But at the end of the day, we did a good job taking care of the tenants and we raised that NOI. So in terms of, you mentioned a couple times about refining these properties. So when you're talking about $11 million property or, you know, anything that's really over five or six million, are you, what, what kind of debt are you using on it? I asked that because when you look at uh, Fannie Freddie non-recourse debt, typically there's, you know, there's gigantic prepay penalties on there that make it mm-hmm. prohibitive to do these cash out refis. So how are, how are you guys doing that? Yeah, I'll, I'll speak to this, you know, and this is this is sort of the model we've put in place for, for our group right now is that we are going in with a community bank. We're buying it with a community bank and we have a great relationship. They're getting a ton of deposits from us. Then, you know, a year later, we're refining it with the same community bank and we're refining on 1025s. OK, so 10 year term, 25 year amortization, uh, low interest rates. At the end of that term, and we don't really have prepays. They might be, you know, a three, two, one or something like that. But after three years, it goes away. From that point, after the second refi, we're going to ride that out, and then we're going to send it off to the secondary market um, and get some agency debt on it. Because for us, we're in a, this hyper growth phase, and I know a lot of the experienced investors on there. You got to get Fannie debt. You got to get Fannie. You know, we're going to get there. Um, we're, we're working through a Fannie deal right now. Um, we were just doing a Freddie deal on, a, on an assumption that we were going to go, but the, the plumbing crapped out, so we had to walk away from it. But ultimate goal is to get everything on over to Fannie. It's just right now we're in this, this really big growth phase. We want to be able to get the money out. We don't want to have the, the rigid terms. And then we're just going to write out our 10 years and then we'll be sending it off to the secondary market. And the thing with Fannie that's it's attractive is everyone always talks about the non-recourse. And you know, you're wealthy investors. Wealthy investors want the non-recourse. Although there are carve-out, they're bad boy carve-outs. So you just can't walk away from a deal. So there's always a little bit of risk. But with the non-recourse, you do get it off your balance sheet. But Jake and I, like he said, you know, the Fannie, when you refi, they are restrictive. There's a lot of closing costs. It takes a long time to do it. Uh, you've got to put the capex in. So um, for us, the first few deals, it wasn't worth going to Fannie. Now we're looking at it, and it's just taking us a long time to do it. And we've got a community bank backing up, giving us great terms. These community banks are great because they know the market. They want to grow their portfolio. This is our bank wants to grow its portfolio. So it's giving us awesome terms. And you know what? At the end of the month, when they're getting three hundred grand a month in, in demand deposits, they want your business. That's what it comes down to. Here's the other thing that's interesting too, Buck, is that you're seeing the, the tenure flying up right now, right? Mm-hmm. And you're, you're seeing maybe 220 basis points spread for Fannie. So what's that look like today? I haven't looked, but maybe it's a 4.7. You know, we can still get 4.25 from Community Bank today. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, the rates necessarily haven't caught up. Treasury has been going like this. It's kind of interesting right now. So because for so long, you know, you may be, you know, low, low, really low fours, high threes on a 10 year Fannie money. Yeah. I mean, I guess in particular, if you guys obviously are for the most part, these are deals that you do on your own rather Correct. than syndicate. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you're, yes. you're, it's your own money. It's your own risk. You're yep. signing it away. So I think that's a major. But we're doing pro rata guarantors too. So it's not like, you know, a lot of banks want you to, you know, everyone guarantee 100%, right? Right. We're not doing it. But it certainly makes it certainly more um, appealing if it's really just your own money that you're, uh, mm-hmm. that's on the line. So that makes a lot of sense. Let's talk in general. What does wealth mean to you guys? Because obviously, you know, you've gotten to a point, you're doing really well. I mean, if you do the math and the number of units you have and what you've done, you know, you could probably, my, my guess is you could just stop and do nothing. So what, what keeps you going? What is wealth to you? 
Uh, wealth to me is real simple. Be able to talk to Dr. Buck on the podcast <laughs> on Monday morning after Christmas. That's right. Wealth means being able to work whenever I want to. I'm, right. I'm, I'm the son of immigrants, so I've I've worked six days a week. I worked seven days a week. I've worked every holiday. This is my first Christmas Eve off in 23 years. So to me, that's wealth. Being able to do what I want to when I want to, to be able to help people to get on the phone and to be able to help people get into their first deal. That, that's wealth to me. I mean, I used to think of it when I was younger about making millions and millions and millions. And now that I know it'll come sooner or later, if I help enough people, but I just want to be engaged with people. I want to be out there talking to people, helping them out, uh, being an example to my kids. I've got six kids, so I, I have to be a role model to my children. So by acting right and by doing the right thing and by showing them what's what's good in life, that's what wealth means to me. How about you, Jake? Yeah, and for me, for me, it's just about being in control of my destiny. You know, I was a not a good student in high school and basically was, you know, I was taking like these SET prep tests and like tell my dad, this kid's never going go to go to college, uh, you know, all this crap. Right. And and the problem was I just had so much energy in high school. I could not sit in a chair like I was, I was literally going to lose my mind. And so I was like, you know, really freaked out. I wasn't going to do anything. I ended up getting an MBA and, and all this crap. And it really was like meaningless. I got more education with Gino than I ever did in any kind of school. Right. But uh I just need to be in control of my destiny. Like that's why I was in sales because I was out on the road. I was able to work my ass off and just do it. I love working. I don't want to stop working ever. I want to keep growing this thing just because I simply am passionate about it. I enjoy it. And for me, I just don't want to be told, look, you got to go punch a clock from nine to five. I want to be able to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And I'll continue to work hard. You know, I might work 12, 15 hours a day simply because I need to, you know, I, if I, if I don't have, if I have idle dead time, that's the worst place for me to be. I need something to do. And it's just, you know, it's convenient that I have this energy and I want to do it because, you know, basically we keep growing and keep getting bigger. And I think it's a, it works well for everybody. And I know my wife likes it, right? It's good for her, right? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I always think about it. It's kind of funny to me. And um, I'm, I'm like you, Jake. I'm not. Um, to, to your point, Gino, first of all, it is Monday morning. And I don't know how many surgeons that are, are sitting around in uh, their guest room like I am podcasting with a couple of guys talking about That's what real Gino estate. Said to me. He's like, how many schmucks are getting a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I don't have to work, so I don't have to, so I'm not working, but that's, uh, but I am kind of working, right? Cause I'm doing what I, I'm, I'm talking to you guys and granted my podcast doesn't make any money, but, but we're talking about things that ultimately will result in, you know, people doing well. And when people, more people do well because of us, then it makes us do better one way or another. Right. So I think that's great. The other thing I just wanted to point out is this whole thing. You know, you mentioned a couple of times the son of uh, immigrants. And how do you think that's affected you? Because I'm a son of immigrants, too. You know, for me, it's like, uh, you know, having like one step away from knowing that, you know, there's not safety nets everywhere and that the world is not there just to pay for everything. If you're out of a job, that's in my psyche. it's weird because it's a duality. I'm blessed by having that, but at the same time, it's a curse because I my father went into business. At 39 years old, he went into business, so he first restaurant. So you, you have that fear of, I, I've never drawn a paycheck in the last 20 years, so I'm you know funding myself. And at the same time, you live with that fear of not getting paid, but at the same time of you have to work. So it's ingrained in you. And that's, what, that's the problem that I see in, in our society now that a lot of guys – who aren't working, that's just the way they were brought up. And I was brought up a little bit differently. I was brought up that you gotta go to work. And it's a curse because I was also brainwashed into, you know, you work hard, you get paid. No, you work smart and you get paid. So right. I'm learning that as I get older. So it's a curse and it's a blessing because I'm not, I'm willing to do anything it takes to get the job done, but I've got to work on myself first. And, um, you know, I was fortunate. I mean, I was, I always tell people, if I fail, then I just take it upon myself that I'm the biggest loser because I was born, I hit the jackpot. I had the two of the best parents that I could, anybody could possibly have, two of the best role models. So if I can't succeed in life, then there's something wrong. So I put that pressure upon myself to try to transcend all that and try to you know, bring that down to my down to my children. And you know, the way this whole political system, the whole you know, politics is talking about immigrants, they, they put a bad spin on it. 
We're just talking about guys who want to come here and do really well. They have to bring a specific skill set and want to work hard. And that's what the average immigrant is. I think immigrants just want to work hard. They've come such such bad situations. That's why they're leaving where they'll come to come here. And I think Americans take this country for granted because there's so much opportunity. Just open your eyes up and take a look at what these guys are willing to do. But they're willing to sacrifice. I mean, you know, we're willing to sacrifice. I lived in a duplex for half my life because there was, you know, they live, we lived with my, my aunts and uncles. We had a basement that we were renting out. So we sacrificed a lot. And that's what um, I think a lot of people have to look at. You know, you have to look at your priorities. What do you want to do? If you sacrifice today, you'll be able to do a lot more tomorrow. It's also perspective. You know, I mean, you look at uh, if you're, you know, I, I think about my dad who, uh, you know, he's been doing real estate for what, 40, over 40, almost 50 years. But when he came to this country, he came from India and he, they were poor in India. And then when he got here on an engineering scholarship and he looked around, he's like, oh, my gosh, there's there's opportunity everywhere here. Yeah. I could I could be a millionaire here. And he and he became mm-hmm. a millionaire here. Right. Yeah. And he had no shot where he was. And I think what you said is exactly right. When you're an immigrant, you know, when you come here as an immigrant and you you see that frequently, there's just this like scrappiness, you know, which mm-hmm. which uh, Jake seems to have uh, inherently, which is but great. That, that's why we're, we've gotten to where we've got those right. scrappiness, you know. Yeah. I, th- I think the other thing, too, is the the ability that I don't think they know what the failure is. They can't fail. Yeah, I think just being I think being ignorant. I mean, I don't want to be bad, but being ignorant sometimes is works to your advantage because you yeah. don't know what the bad thing about it is. I mean, I've got, you know, a lot of Italians that I know, they own hundreds of millions of dollars in real estate. They bought in the Bronx when you're not supposed to buy in the Bronx. They bought in Manhattan 30 years ago when you're not supposed to buy. They didn't know better. They just knew that this is how to make money and they just took a chance. And all of a sudden, you know, 20 years later, they were lucky. No, they weren't lucky. They just didn't know what they were doing. No, but they they actually had the opportunity. That's right. right. Well, that, they, look, they that, saw that, that as an opportunity. That's the thing. A lot of us don't see that as an opportunity. They just saw it as wow. This just is, being here, being in the game, was an opportunity, and you just you right. know you're just going to do it, right? That's right. So let's um, let's you know take all this wisdom here and wrap start wrapping this up now. So I have a lot of listeners, a lot of high paid professionals. There's some real estate investors and syndicators on there too, but you know a lot of people are just hardworking, high paid professionals, and they want to start getting into the real estate game. Right. So put yourself in their shoes, Jake. I mean, you've been working with doctors, you know, as a drug rep and that sort of thing. So you might have some perspective and especially with the guy who showed you the ropes, uh, who is a physician. How about some advice for people who want to get into the real estate game? And should they do it now or should they wait until there's a big correction? <laughs> so here's the, the main. So that doctor that I was talking about, um, and, and this is not like a made up guy. You know, this is not like a, a rich dad, poor dad kind of thing. Maybe that's real. I don't know. But literally, if you <laughs> Google Mike Neshawat and Carmel Brewster, New York area, listen, the, the guy is is a part of the fire department, you know, like search and rescue stuff. The guy does everything. He's like the community guy. And the difference between him is that he he has been able to do, you know, what other people were unwilling to do because the the difference is the rest of the doctors making 150, 200 a year, maybe more, maybe 300. I don't know what they're making, right? The you know, they're not hungry. They're happy, they're making a little bit of income, maybe they're going to invest in a 401k or whatever, but they lose that drive and that hustle to do what it takes to get to the next level and really secure their families because as you see, you know, doctors are making less, the, the different regulations going in place, they're they're being, you know, pushed into these medical groups, they're becoming employees, they're losing their autonomy. You know all of this, you could speak to this for hours. He said, you know what, I'm going to it's on me, it's my responsibility. I'm not just going to be a 9 to 5 worker. I'm going to create this life for my family went out and started doing it. You know, it depends. Do you want it? Do you want to be a passive investor? Do you do you have that hustle to go out there and actually get in the game and do it? Because, you know, you go through years of medical school. Are you willing to go that extra step now and to really, you know, get in the game? Yeah, but to speak so. to Jake's point, I think any doctor, any lawyer, any professional has to really start uh, educating themselves also. Because even though you're going to be giving money off to a syndicate or whatever, you want to know, you know, when you look at a balance sheet and an income statement on a property, you want to know what you're buying. So I think you really mm-hmm. should spend some time educating yourself. And now there's never a good or bad time to start. Start today. Start educating yourself today and see what's going on. Find someone you feel really comfortable with. Take a look at their track record. See what their experience has been and what their 
track record has led them and become comfortable, but know what you're investing in. Just because you're giving your money off to somebody doesn't mean you shouldn't have the responsibility to know what you're investing in. And the only other thing I would say is, listen, we're going to have a correction. The A's are going to be, there's going to be a big correction in the A space. Continue to look at the B's and the lower C, lower C properties, because that's where I think you can't replicate them anymore. That's where a lot of the, uh, I would say, tenants are going. That's where they're staying. These A properties, they're getting bid up so much. So I think that's where a lot of the correction is going to happen. Just learn the market, learn where you're investing in, learn who you're going to give your money to. Yeah, I would also add just to that one point that I like the B's in this situation because the cap rate compression will affect them less than it will the C's mm-hmm. and D's. So, you know, I talk to a lot of uh, folks, uh, you know, who are in my uh, investor club. So I have an accredited investor club, which, by the way, if you want to go ahead and sign up, don't forget, you can sign up at WealthFormula.com for that. And, um, you know, they're split. Some of them are, you know, really wanting to get into the game for themselves. And some of them are wanting to figure out how to be passives. And I think either way, you're right. You have to get some education. One of the whole point of our group is mm-hmm. that if we put a deal in front of people, uh, whether that's a deal that I'm sponsoring or, you know, somebody else is sponsoring or whatever, that we look at it and we pick it apart and we try to understand it. And that's critically important because especially right now, going back to this idea of irrational exuberance, I'm seeing more syndicators than I've ever seen and everybody and their mother becoming a syndicator. And mm-hmm. these proformas are just ridiculous, you know, when I'm looking at some of these things. So it's really important to get educated. And that's where, you know, listening to guys like Gino and Jake on Wheelbarrow Profits or my show, which you guys are listening to, or getting involved with the investor club that I have is. But so, guys, this has been a really great conversation. I've enjoyed it a lot. So tell us a little bit more about, you know, your website, your podcast, and other ways that we can engage with you. So Gino's put us on just about every social media out there, including Snapchat. So first of all, Jake and, and Grinder. Jake and Gino. Jake Jake and Gino Instagram, Jake and Gino Snapchat, Jake and Gino Facebook, Jake and Gino Twitter, Jake and Gino.com, Wheelbarrow Profits on Amazon. Um, and you know, we're we're out there. It's it's really easy to find us. So everything G rated on YouTube. I mean, we have a great Oh podcast. YouTube. Yeah, Man, come on. Go to YouTube. I mean, there's a lot of videos out there. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a life coach, so I like to do a lot of personal development stuff as far as limiting beliefs and all that. So you guys got to get on there. And it's just being engaged and staying motivated. That's what, our, that's what we're trying to do with our investors. You guys just got Snapchatted. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> He's like a kid. He's like a little girl. You know what I'm saying? I was talking to my relatives yesterday, and they're like, what's Snapchat? I'm like, I don't know. I got to get my partner on the phone. Let him talk. <laughs> <laughs> guys, thanks so much for being on the show. We'll talk soon. Thanks. That's it for Wealth Formula Podcast. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Save You with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.